Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, you are listening to New Books in Catholic Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jackson Reinhardt, and today I am with John Biquette to talk about his new book, Bede the Theologian, History, Rhetoric, and Spirituality, published by Catholic University of America Press, 2022. Revered by contemporaries and posterity for both his sanctity and his scholarship, Bede is a pivotal figure in the history of the Church, Known primarily as a historian for the ecclesiastical history of the English people, Bede was also an accomplished pedagogue, uh, hagiographer, and biblical scholar. Bede the Theologian, History, Rhetoric, and Spirituality, takes a fresh look at this classic Christian thinker, exploring the gamut of Bede's literary corpus. The book investigates key themes, including Bede's understanding of the theological significance of time, his conception of the relationship between temporal and eternal orders within history, his theological usage of rhetoric, and his foray into narrative theology and spirituality. John Biquette is a professor of philosophy and theology at the University of St. Francis, Indiana. John, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Glad to be here. Great. So before we get into the content of your book, I'd like to know a little bit about your academic background and the scholarly impetus for writing Be the Theologian. Okay, well, I earned my uh, PhD in historical theology from St. Louis University back in 2001 with an emphasis in uh, the medieval period of Catholic theology. I uh, was originally uh, one that was interested in hagiography, the study of saints' lives. I did my doctoral dissertation on Thomas of Chalano's Life of St. Francis. But over the years, uh, in fact, pretty early in my career, I became more interested in monastic studies, particularly in the thought of be the venerable. Uh, I I found myself more drawn to early medieval and monastic thinking due to its, uh, I guess I would say, rudimentary nature compared to later medieval thought. I found that to be more of a uh, fascinating and, if I can put it this way, even aesthetically pleasing uh, endeavor to, to, to devote my scholarly, uh, scholarly work to. And so I started studying Bede around 2005 with a published an article on one of his uh, Advent sermons. And since then, I've been doing uh, Bede along with other things, and then which culminated in this 2022 book of mine. Fantastic. So speaking of this book and its title, it's called Bede the Theologian and not, say, Bede the Historian. And for so many of us, we know Bede, those in in church history and theology, as the writer primarily of the ecclesiastical history of the English people. Why focus and emphasize the theological Bede as opposed to the historical Bede? Well, because there's a lot more to be than just the ecclesiastical history. I mean, that was the first thing I read about him, too, as an undergraduate. I read that ecclesiastical history of the of the English people. That's kind of Bede's classic signature work. But when you look at his whole corpus and you look at his life as a as a monk and as a scholar, 
he devoted uh, most of his energies to explicating the Bible, sacred scripture. Uh, he wrote uh, numerous uh, commentaries uh, on Old and New Testament texts. He wrote uh, and a series of 40 homilies on the Gospels. So he understood himself primarily as a biblical theologian and only secondarily as a historian. So we've are now considering Bede as a the, as a theologian. We're, we're, we're em, you're emphasizing him in that field because he's written so much in it. So to go into his uh, theological oeuvre, you begin your book kind of explicating the context of Bede's time in his writing. Where, where did Bede find himself in seventh century England, both both intellectually and spiritually, contextually so? Well, he found himself in a medieval monastery, uh, a double monastery, actually, of Wermouth and Jarrow in uh, northeast England, what is today Northumbria. And it was a monastery that was uh, unique for its time in that it had a, had a library at all for the libraries in, in England, because England was something of a backwater of Christendom during the early Middle Ages. And uh, so it was known for that library, uh, due largely to uh, one of its first abbots, Benedict Biscop, who came before Bede and traveled extensively to Rome to bring back various uh, classical books and books on the church fathers and copies of the Bible. And so Bede uh, found himself in an, an ideal situation to be a scholar for the uh, 8th century in England at the time. And uh, spiritually, it was an amalgam of the rule of St. Benedict, and various other rules which we no longer have now, rules for monks. And so it was semi-Benedictine in its emphasis, or, or rather in its structure, in its organization. And, uh, and it was also at a time when there was still the effort to solidify the fruits of the evangelistic efforts of the Irish monks and of Pope Gregory's, uh, Pope Gregory the Great's uh, mission that he sent with Augustine of Canterbury. So there's the scholarly promise of, of Wermuth and Jarrow, it's semi-Benedictinism, and the uh, evangelistic and catechetical efforts that are continuing to be uh, realized during the time of Bede. And that's really what makes his situation or his context unique, I think. So back to this understanding of Bede as a historian, your first exposition of Bede's theology discusses time. What is significant theologically about Bede and time beyond just a kind of historical recounting of the facts? It seems in your chapter, Bede takes a rather large view of time beyond just what occurred before us. He does. He takes, in fact, what I call a sacramental view of time. Now, I'm not sure if that uh, phrase is original with myself or not, but it certainly is apt for Bede, taking a very, very sacramental view of time. And we see this uh, primarily in his treatise on the, the uh, reckoning of time, which was, among other things, a treatise to give theological justification for the Roman calendar and particularly for the Roman uh, celebration of Easter. Bede gives a very curious uh, theological uh, rationale for the uh, specifics of the Gregorian system. And that, and to give a little bit of context, there was a lot of uh, controversy in the early church and up into Bede's time about when exactly was the proper time to celebrate Easter. And 
in, in our in our day, we don't really we have a hard time appreciating how important that was to ancient and medieval theologians. We're like, what's the big deal? I mean, Easter is when Easter is Easter, and we, this this shouldn't be a church dividing issue, but it was for them. And Bede gives a theological rationale in that he takes the Gregorian system, which maintains, and let me see if I can, I hope I don't screw it up by trying to recount it again from, from memory, but Easter is to be celebrated on the Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox, and that has theological significance because after the vernal equinox, or at the equinox, you have um, the hours of day equaling the hours of night, and then from that point on, day progresses long to be longer than night in terms of hours. And Bede see that as symbolic of the victory of the light who is Christ over the darkness of sin. And if you celebrate it before that, then it's inappropriate. You miss the symbolism. And the symbolism has a sacramental quality to it for the life of the believer and for the life of the church. And so these, these issues were very important for Bede and, and his contemporaries. And we look at the uh, Synod of uh, Whitby in 664, there's a veritable schism between those who follow the Gregorian system and those who follow the Irish system when the uh, the king at the time decides in favor of the Gregorian system. So it was definitely a, a, a fundamental issue for Bede and his contemporaries. And that's why time is so significant for Bede, because it, it provides the rationale for the importance they place upon such questions. So you mentioned the importance among Bede's contemporaries for a theological understanding of time. Bede also seems to be in consistent conversation with his classical peers in both theology, but more importantly, rhetoric. How does Bede utilize classical rhetoric in his homilies and commentaries? Well, it's important to recognize first that he gets his classical rhetoric indirectly. Uh, he, he may have had access to the, uh, Corpus of Ciceronian rhetoric, we're not really sure, but certainly he, it was part of the air that he breathed intellectually and in his monastic training in the seven liberal arts, particularly the trivium, grammar, rhetoric, and, and dialectic. And so, but he liked to stress, a lot, like, like a lot of authors from his, his milieu, they like to stress that anything found in the classical tradition could also be found in the books of sacred scripture in, in a more eminent and profound way. And then, and rhetoric was no no uh, exception to that. So he wrote a treatise on the schemes and tropes of Scripture, finding Ciceronian rhetorical devices in Scripture itself. And from there, we see him uh, using these same devices in his writing, in his hagiography, his life, lives of the saints, particularly the life of Cuthbert, but also even more importantly in his homilies. And he was very much indebted to the rhetorical tradition indirectly from the church fathers, Augustine in particular, in his application of that tradition. You, you mentioned St. Cuthbert. We'll go there next. You, you consider that this hagiography is an example of narrative theology. Well, what is narrative theology and how is Bede using it within this recounting of a saint? Well, narrative theology is a very uh, contemporary term, okay, as, as you probably know. And it basically, there's, there's no set definition to it other than it gives priority to the storied nature of divine revelation for applicating Christian truth and its application to the spiritual life. And so I decided to do something what I, what I hope would be a little, a little creative and take that very modern idea of narrative theology and apply it to one of the classic saints' lives written by Bede. That was my motive there. 
and uh, it was pretty fascinating. I, I found that the uh, narrative structure of the life of Cuthbert shows some definite theological development in not only in the life of the saint, but in Bede's perception of that of that life. That would be, from what I understand, a kind of reference or structuring of the saints' lives to Jesus. To yes, to Jesus uh, and to the end of the biblical narrative itself, salvation history, mm-hmm. Old Testament and New, New Testament inclusive. Is is there something as I was reading the text, and I was reading about Cuthbert's actions, his miracles, which mm-hmm. are based upon Jesus's. I, I was I was thinking about how is Jesus's miracles de-emphasized in that process in, insofar as saying that, that what makes Jesus so special in the mind of, say, Bede is not those miracles because they're consistently happening through time. There's something else about Jesus that's significant. Well, I'm not quite sure how to, how to address that question other than to state the obvious that Jesus is significant because he's the son of God and the savior of the world and the founder of the church. But it's important to, to understand hagiography as an attempt to, how shall I put this, uh, to show the myriad ways in which the mystery of Christ is manifested in the lives of various saints in history. And he, may, and he sees Cuthbert as simply part of that constellation. If you study hagiography, hey, you see that very, very plainly, and not only in Cuthbert's life, but in Sulpicius Severus's life of St. Martin, in, uh, again, in Thomas of Chalano, many years later, in Thomas of Chalano's Life of St. Francis. It's, all, it's almost described by one author, I forget who it was, as almost a kaleidoscope of colors that each of the saint, each, each saint's life illuminates or exemplifies that kaleidoscope that is the life of Christ himself. And St. Cuthbert also is an example of the monk-bishop model. Yes. It, what is that model? That the model is again. It occurs very early in the Christian hagiographical tradition. Okay, like I mentioned, the life of Saint Martin of Tours, which I highly recommend reading if you want to get a good handle of the various hagiographical uh, topoi that are used by by later writers. But the monk bishop, which we get from from, from the life of Martin, which Bede utilizes, is basically this notion of a man who begins the life of a and discipline of a monk is. Uh, co-opted sometimes sometimes against his will into being a bishop, but he maintains his monastic practice and charism even while he's a bishop. And we see this manifested primarily not 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 primarily, but not only in his pastoral activity, but in miracles that he performs. He's very much of a monk while he's operating as a bishop. And this is something exemplary that Bede sees. He thinks that this is something that should be very replicated. Much so. Okay. Very much so. His the his church, the Church of Anglo-Saxon England, was very much of a monastic-centric church at the time, as much as the medieval church was at the time, mm. where a lot of the uh, strong leaders, the charisms, the spirituality was drawn, and the learning certainly was drawn from the monastery. So an exemplary figure would be someone who was a monk who became a bishop. Great. So going to Bede's seminal work, ecclesiastical history, you 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 speak about this division of the temporal and eternal orders. How does Bede conceive of these orders, and how does he, in that narrative, indicate that they can be harmonized and, or potentially transcended? Well, he's, he's taking them, I, th- I think he's taking inspiration from the tension between the temporal and eternal that we see in, the, in St. Augustine's City of God, which came uh, many centuries earlier. 
with the idea that the uh, temporal order, by its very nature, influenced, affected as it is by human sin, is draw is very much oriented or um, tends toward uh, chaos and destruction and violence, whereas the divine order, the city of God, as it were, is a city of peace because it is governed by Christ, governed by Christ and animated by Christian charity. And what we see here in the ecclesiastical history of Bede is an attempt. I don't know how the reader would have to be, be be the judge on how successful it is, but it is an attempt to harmonize the two in the lives of various uh, saintly rulers in Anglo-Saxon England, like Saint Oswald, the King of Northumbria, who lives the life of a saint. He's very devout, but he also has to deal with the problems of war and infighting that affect the, the temporal order of his day. And we, we see it exemplified again in, in good rulers, but also even, even more profoundly, I think, or more, or more forward-looking in those later rulers who do well as rulers, but then leave behind their temporal responsibilities and enter a monastery or a convent. And they forsake temporal responsibility for the responsibility of life in the spirits, which which reinforces the transcendent nature of that life over the temporal order. So again, I, again, I have to leave it to the reader just to, to decide how well B does in fact harmonize the two. If there's this ultimate abandonment of uh, material of the temporal order for the divine order in the life of so many of his heroes. So you mentioned City of God and St. Augustine. In your final chapter, you discuss the Christian spirituality of Bede and classify him tentatively as a City of God, Christian spiritual, having a City of God, Christian spirituality with apostolic tendencies. Explain to us exactly what Christian spirituality is, at least how you're using it within this chapter, and why is Bede fitting within that paradigm of a city of God spirituality? Well, I would understand spirituality as the attempt to realize an authentic Christian life, both for oneself and for one's faith community. Okay, Something we all wrestle with either explicitly or implicitly throughout our lives as Christians, as believers. And Bede is no exception to that. Uh, by by city of God spirituality, there, there's different, I, I, my memory might be failing me here, but there are various models of spirituality that I borrow from another from another author here. And one of them is the, uh, the apostolic spirituality where there's a stress upon going out and winning the world for Christ, winning souls. There's the apophatic spirituality, which holds to a very much of a very, for lack of a better way of putting it, personalist or even subjectivist notion of encounter with God that cannot be put into words. We see this on a lot of the mystics and the the mystical writers of of the Middle Ages. With the city of God spirituality, there's this notion that there's, that the world is in opposition to God, okay, as Augustine said. That's the tendency of the temporal order to be opposed to God to be ordered towards or oriented towards destruction and chaos and disillusion. But there's a locus of God's presence in the world in the midst of all that, where God's activity, God's charity, God's order is maintained. And Bede seems to focus on that in his view of the church, not only the church universal, but the church of his own time and location as the center of not only orthodoxy, but of good order and spiritual health and vitality in the midst of a very chaotic uh, surrounding, very chaotic world in which he lived in Anglo-Saxon England. But at the same time, 
He qualifies that with an evangelical missionary emphasis, with a, especially with his devotion to Pope Gregory the Great, the, the great Pope who sent the St. Augustine's mission to England. In fact, there's a sense in which Bede is much more Gregorian even than he is Augustinian in his esteem for Gregory. And that's a very apostolic, outward-focused, missionary type of spirituality, which he uses to qualify his city of God spirituality. So it's an amalgam of the two, I think. Fantastic. Well, one final question before, uh, one penultimate question, I should say, before we end. Uh, We've gone over Bede's theology, which I find to be interesting and enlightening and illuminating. What are some resonances or what can contemporary Catholics, theologians, Christian historians, etc., take away from, from Bede's theology? What they can take away from his theology is a good question. Uh, he doesn't style himself as an original thinker, although I do think he's an original thinker in spite of himself. But uh, we see him, he likes to propose himself as simply following in the footsteps of the fathers. And so one thing they can take away from it is that Bede is very much, can be very much considered a church father, even though he comes later than the classical period of the patristics. Another thing we can take away from Bede is the recognition that the so-called dark ages were nothing of the kind. These were, there was very much light and illumination and especially intellectual and spiritual light during this period of European history. So I would say those two things mainly are what draw one to be there, certainly what drew me to Bede. Like I said at the beginning of our interview, there was almost an aesthetic fascination I have with the early Middle Ages and that came to center on this 8th century Anglo-Saxon monk that everybody uses as a historian to the exclusion of his theology. I, I completely agree on the character, mischaracterization of the Dark Ages. When I was reading Bede's homilies on John that you include in, in your chapter on, on rhetoric, I was absolutely amazed at his the intricacy of his writing, the way in which he uh, is able to employ all of these rhetorical tropes to his uh, persuasive advantage. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we go, uh, I'd like to know about any future projects we have, you have, and are, are there any more work that you have planned regarding Bede? Well, right now I'm doing a couple of things uh, in, in the midst of my teaching and everything. I'm doing some more more extensive study of his homilies, perhaps not definitely, perhaps with a view to a book to a, a, a book of rhetorical. Uh, exposition, a rhetorical, a rhetor- what I like to call a rhetorical thematic exposition of his homilies, like the one that was in, in the book here, but being more comprehensive. And I'm also taking more of an interest in Irish monasticism now, kind of a change of pace a little bit. Again, back to the aesthetic of the early Middle Ages, light shining and darkness kind of thing. So those are my two things that I vision myself doing now. Great. Well, I look forward to uh, any future research regarding Bede as well as uh, Irish and Celtic Christianity. Well, John, again, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. Uh, You have been listening to New Books in Catholic Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, discussing John Baquette's Bede the Theologian, History, Rhetoric, and Spirituality, published by Catholic University of America Press, 2022. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.